Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. I'm not an educated man, but I've read some history. Every kingdom comes with bloody. Back east, I was a gangster. Out here, I'm God. Los Angeles is a damsel in distress. And I need you to save her. We need men. We're going after Mickey Cohen. Doesn't seem right. That he should have so much, while others have so little. You heard of Manifest Destiny? That's when you take what you can, when you can. Bang! Within a month, we'll have the whole West Coast tied up in a nice ribbon. Bye-bang! I'm going to war. You call it, Sarge. If you do this, there's no going back. Well, you gotta die of something. Man! Woo! Can I have a moment with the men of liquid? Who wants to see that movie, guys? You want to see that movie. Sean, Allen, you want to see that movie? That is a guy movie right there. You're like, man, yeah, I want to go see that movie. Uh, that is a gangster squad coming out uh, with Sean Penn uh, and ladies, Ryan Gosling, that's for you. Uh, that, <laughs> that's like, how do we get the guys to go? It's the topic. And we throw in Ryan Gosling for the ladies. I get this. Uh, it's, it's not a chick flick. It is one of those like kind of manly men movies that get my uh, kind of blood going a bit. In fact, it's, uh, it's actually a real life story. It is based on the true story of gangster Mickey Cohen who is one of the most dangerous mafia bosses of all time. Mickey Cohen was born in Brooklyn. He ran drugs, guns, prostitutes all along the East Coast until he moved his operations west to L.A. in the 1940s. And Gangster Squad is about this kind of crack team of cops who come together to kind of take their city back from one of the most notorious gangsters of that area, era. Now, here's the deal. I'm not recommending this movie. Parents, I just want you to know. Uh, I think it is rated R. Um, but I think it's interesting because it's a real-life story of one of his mob lieutenants, a guy named Jim Voss. He was an enforcer for Mickey Cohen, 6'3", 330 pounds, and he was recruited by the LAPD to wiretap the mob's operations. And on the eve of one of the deadliest stings in the history of organized crime, um, Voss decided to attend a Billy Graham crusade. He literally, they were working L.A., and right before that sting, there were 6,000 people. Billy Graham was in downtown L.A., and he, he went to this thing, heard this message about God forgiving you, giving you a new future, forgiving all your sins of the past. He never had heard this idea of grace before. And, and, and literally, Jim Voss walked the sawdust trail, fell on his knees before Billy Graham, and surrendered his life to Christ. And in that moment, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing story. It's told in this, this book, My Father Was a Gangster by his son, Will Voss. And here's the amazing thing. His life was transformed. This wasn't like a way to like get out of jail or something. He spent the rest of his life ministering to uh, juvenile delinquents with the gospel uh, message of hope. So a mobster turned into a minister, a good fellow becomes a God fellow by the grace of God. There's, there's something about these incredible, notorious conversions that kind of grab our imagination. Uh, last week, you heard from the mobster, real life, Michael Franzese. How amazing was that? Was that cool? Um, amazing story. Crime boss of the Colombo crime family. 
that guy's the real deal. I, I walked away, man. I was like, that was incredible. Uh, first off, I like how he actually talks like a real gangster. Uh, you know, he's like, good to be back in Jersey, Pastor Tim. It feels like welcome home for me. Uh, and it's amazing. I, I also felt good because there was a state trooper in the lobby, uh, you know, as he spoke. That made, made me. But this miraculous conversion that really left a lot of people speechless. I talked to some people afterwards who were visiting for the first time. They're like, I don't know, man. That just seems crazy. Like, how does God reach into the darkness of a life marked by crime and greed and violence and all things? He shines his light and all of a sudden, boom, a proud sinner becomes this humble saint. And yet that's what God does. God is doing this all the time. I know we live these like mundane, like ordinary lives, go to the grocery store, but God does this. He reaches into people's very, their darkness, all their pride, all their ego, all their addictions and brokenness, and he just melts the hardest of hearts with his grace. That's why we call grace amazing. You know, it's an amazing grace. It really is amazing. There is no other explanation for a turnaround like that. Uh, many of you, I uh, just want to thank you. Uh, you invited friends and family uh, to come last week. I was so glad uh, by that. I was talking with a guy this week uh, who visited, and I said, you know, what do you think? And he said, well, I don't know. He's not a believer. And he says, I, I, think, he's, I think he's making a lot of money with his books and his, you know, his speeches and everything. He was skeptical because he's like, now he's doing a religious racket. And that's how the world kind of looks at people. They say, you know what, I don't know I can explain somebody who was kind of in all darkness, and now they're living this, this light about testifying to God. That's how the world views conversion stories. And if you take a moment to think about your own conversion, I want you to think about the process by which God drew you to himself and, and Christ entered your life. I bet you will see some parallels. It may not be as dramatic as a, as a Jim Voss or a Michael Franzese. I get that. But mark this. God is always at work. He's always drawing, calling, poking, prodding, goading men and women out of their former way of life, into the forgiveness and freedom of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And these gangster stories really are modern versions of the life of the apostle Paul, the New Testament's original gangster, the OG. He's, the, he's kind of the uh, biblical inspiration for this series. If you recall, before he was the apostle Paul, he was simply Saul, a stone-cold killer who was violently opposed to anything or anyone related to Jesus in his church. Um, the first picture that the Bible gives of young Saul is as an accomplice to murder. You guys remember this? A young man named Stephen is dragged out into the streets by an angry mob. They stone him to death. The mob stones him. This brutal, cold-blooded murder of one of the original uh, early church's martyrs. And, and what's most chilling, if you remember, is this little detail given in Acts 7, verse 58. It says, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So the first snapshot that the Bible gives of St. Paul is serving as a coat rack to killers. Paul was probably in his late teens, early 20s at that moment. He was very zealous for the family, the family, the, the religious Jewish family that believed anybody who followed Jesus was an enemy. And you got to understand his thinking, okay? It wasn't just this ignorance. He was, he was extremely schooled. He was like, people are preaching about this dead Jewish carpenter. They're saying he's alive. And they're performing miracles. They're saying through his power. But I think it's Satan. I don't think it's God. That's what Paul thought. He saw Christianity and maybe some of your family or friends was this kind of dangerous sect. And he's like, I, I'm going to eliminate every single one of them before they destroy my historic faith of my family. And the mob's first hit was this guy, Stephen. He's like, you know, hey, Paul, hold our coats while we whack this guy. And it says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Remember this. 
we jump immediately and think of Paul as a saint. But there's a reason he called himself in the book of Timothy, Chief of Sinners. He said, that's who I was. It's a very chilling portrait that the Bible gives. But that's the reality of Paul's very dark past. He hated the name of Jesus. So much so that after this kind of initiation killing, Paul became the number one hitman and enforcer for the Sanhedrin. He literally would chase Christians. He would hunt them down. He would throw them in prison. And yes, he would actually kill them in cold blood. As Acts 8.3 describes, Paul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. It is very difficult to imagine, guys, at this point, the kind of passion and hatred that Saul felt towards Christians. He became public enemy number one of the church, and his reputation for violence grew very, very quickly. In Acts 26, Paul confessed this. He said, I was convinced in my head that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That's St. Paul. <laughs> That's one of the fathers of our faith. He wrote over half of the New Testament. And you're like, that's, that's chilling, yes, and it'd be a dark story, but this isn't where it ends. See, this is where, really where the movie, the story begins. It's where Michael Franzese's life or, or Gangster Squad, you guys know all these epic stories that resonate with, they, they turn on this moment in the drama when darkness is hit head on with light. Good confronts evil and they duke it out in the middle of the street. Bam! And that's what I want to look at today. Perhaps the most notorious conversion story in all of scripture. So I want to invite you to take out your movie script, or take out the Bible, and you're going to turn to Acts chapter 9. This is the key moment in the story of God and Paul's life where he has a radical confrontation with Jesus. This is the most dramatic conversion story, I think, in the New Testament, the original gangster turnaround that makes Michael Frenzies look mild. And what I want you to invite you to see here is a pattern. I want you to look at your own life. You're going to see the spiritual process here by which God actually takes hold of a man or woman, sometimes dramatically, sometimes it's just gradually, and gives birth to a new Christian. If you always wonder, what does it mean to become a Christian? Like, is it just by, like, now I've come Sunday after Sunday, and I've, now I go to church, I guess I'm a Christian? This is what it looks like to become a Christian. I want you to think of your own story coming to Christ for a minute. How did you come to, to not just know about Jesus, but you trust him as your Lord and as your Savior? Maybe you're in the middle of that process. Maybe you've been coming to church, you're kind of kicking the tires of faith, see what this whole Christianity thing is about, but you still haven't committed your life to God. You're going to see, I want to, I want to invite God just to let him speak to you today, okay? And consider the ways that he may be drawing you, goading you to come into relationship with him. Acts 9, let's start at verse 1. Here's what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. You can hear, he just got angrier. And he went to the high priest's. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues or churches in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called followers, they follow the way, capital W, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus. Who, I always wonder, don't you always wonder, like, what? I, whenever I read the Bible, I always wonder, like, what, like, what did Jesus' voice sound like? So, like, I read this, and I'm kind of like, we know Saul. We don't know a lot about him. The word Saul actually means small, so he probably was like a short, 
uh, guy. Think of like Joe Pesci. So it's like, who are you, Lord? You know? And uh, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You know, I don't, but now he, 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 but literally he's knocked down and he hears, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Next verse, take a look at this. It says, the men traveling with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. And he didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yeah, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. It's right around the corner from the A&P. Ask... And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for what? He is what? He's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Lord, Ananias answered. I I love this. "Um, I've heard a little bit about this guy. (laughs) And, you know, we're not the most popular people in his wheelhouse. All the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And this is a chilling verse. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And you imagine him kind of trembling. And placing his hands on Saul said, brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and what? He was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, would that make a good movie scene or what? I mean, there's some drama going on here. Paul was rated R. He was on a rampage until Jesus personally confronted him and knocks him on his rear end on the street and basically says, somebody going to mess with me? I'm going to mess with him. All right? Augustine called Paul's conversion the violent capture of a rebel will. In other words, he pictured it like capturing a wild wolf and changing it into the spirit of a, of a meek lamb. In other words, only God could, could do this with this sinful, violent soul like Saul, like Michael Franzese, like Jim Voss, like Tim Lucas, like many of you. Now, I realize today not many of you may have a conversion story this dramatic, but I want to invite you to do this. I want you to think about the drama that has played out in your journey to faith in Christ because there are kind of five steps in Paul's conversion story here that I think are very significant And if you think long and hard enough about your own life, you can see them as well. Because although God, you know, he works in different ways and different people, the way that he draws each of us into a relationship with him is very much intentional. It's on purpose. The purpose of this is to give up our former me-centered way of life. It's all about my little deal, focused on my goals and purposes, and transform us into the God-centered way of life that says I exist for God, to worship him, to live on purpose for him, to, to actually serve others in his name. And these five kind of steps in Saul's story kind of weave in and out of my own spiritual journey. I'm guessing for some of you, some of you, you may be right in the middle of this, and this is going to connect the dots for you. And the first one is this. At some point in our journey to faith, 
God will sometimes blindside us. Can you say blindside? Blindside. Verse 3, and this is literally kind of where it comes from. It says, suddenly a light flashed around Saul, and he fell to the ground. In other words, he didn't see this coming. And you may have had this happen in your life, you know, where life is good. Everything's, you know, kind of smooth sailing all ahead. You're like driving along. We're master and commander of our own ship. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, life is a bam. We're kind of hit out of nowhere. Something blindsides us. We didn't see it coming. The boss calls us in, and we think, oh, it's about time they recognize me and give me a promotion. And he's like, actually, we're letting you go. What? What? Boom. Blindsided. Or the doctor calls us back and, and says, actually, your child has a diagnosis, and you can't even pronounce it, let, let alone comprehend what this means for your family. You can't understand it. You're blindsided by it. Life is like this. Or, or, or your, your spouse says over dinner that they've had it, and you're like, oh, here we go again. They're like, no, no, I mean, I've had it. I've made up my mind this time, and I'm leaving if things don't change. What? Where's this coming from? These are called blindsides because, by definition, we don't see them coming, do we? That, that's why they're blindsides. And, and Paul didn't see this coming. In his mind, God was leading him to Damascus. He thought he was doing God's will by hunting Christians down there. This is up in Syria. Until this light from heaven literally blinds his eyes and exposes the darkness of his ways and just knocks him flat to the ground. Do you know what that feels like? Actually, some of you probably do. Over the last 12 months, many of you I know have had a situation in your life that has kind of blindsided you. You didn't see it coming. How many of you feel that way? You, some of us last year, you're like, man, I got totally blindsided by that. Yeah, okay. Took your breath away. Kind of, left you, kind of left you reeling. Maybe you're still struggling to make sense of that. Listen carefully. Have you ever considered the idea that it is actually God who has allowed this blindside? Not, not to punish you, per se, because that, that's typically what happens. Typically, when we're blindsided, we, kind of bl we want to curse or blame the thing or the person who kind of hit us. You know, well, it's my boss. He threw me under the bus at work. My wife doesn't understand the pressure I'm under. Blah, 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 blame, 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 blame. But what if... You've been blindsided in the last 12 months. Have you ever considered this is actually God trying to get your attention to invite you to draw deeper into him? Not to punish you. See, don't assume that the blindside is automatically God's punishment because you naturally think, well, in Saul's life, he deserved it. This is God's payback for his, you know, wicked ways. But that would be misinterpreting what's going on here. Look at this. See, the secret, guys, of the blindside is why it may temporarily stun us. We're like, what the? From heaven's perspective, it is a huge blessing from your heavenly father. And I get it. Right now, you're shaking your head, and you're like, a blessing? Pfft, whatever. My money problems, my kid's diagnosis is a blessing, my relationship ills? Yes. Because the thing about God's light is it reveals the darkness in our heart, the idolatry. We all have this. We all have the different things that we worship, the things that we're looking to, for our practical salvation. You know, when we talk about salvation, like there's salvation, you know, I want to spend eternity in heaven with God, but then there's a practical salvation. How can I feel like I'm worth something? For some, it's work. If you worship your work, okay, if you inject everything in your career, when you lose your job, you lose yourself. You're like, I just, I, I know guys like that. It's just like, I, I don't know who I am anymore. It's an identity crisis because that's how they define themselves. For others, it's a relationship. If you lose your boyfriend or girlfriend, you plunge into depression or loneliness because you can't imagine a future without so-and-so. They were my reason for living and breathing. We make idols out of all sorts of things, and God in his light wants to expose that. We make idols even out of religion. That's what Paul's idol was. He was worshiping man-made religion. 
Why is Paul doing all this in the first place? Because he works for the church. Woo! <laughs> he, a lot of us in ministry, we do this because, you know what, the shadow side of us, we're like, we want to earn God's approval. <laughs> we want to be the ultimate Pharisee. Paul was very zealous for his faith, and, and, and religious people are like that. You ever find that with folks? They're like all about the rules and the laws. We all know people like that, right? You don't want to be around them. But behind that, it's the same thing that fuels a workaholic because each of us has to know my life counts for something. I need to know that I'm good. I need to know that I'm worthy, that, I'm, that, 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 that drives our energies. And, I, and if I, maybe if I, if I do good, God will give me the thumbs up and, and all will be right inside of me. That's who Paul was. That was driving him. He was a religious workaholic. And he was driven by actually amazing ambition. He wanted to be a member of the Jewish Supreme Court. That's what the Sanhedrin was. And in his drivenness, blinders came on and he lost sight of God. And that's the darkness that God said, I want to expose this in you. It says, Saul fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Persecute me. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are hurting. Catch this. Paul thought he was attacking the church. And Jesus said, no, it's actually personal. You are hurting me. The church is my bride, and I don't like the way you're treating my wife. Woof. Even the most hardened heart is humbled when God calls out a blind spot like that. It is a very humbling process. Signpost number two. See, if you remain proud in your heart, if God just allowed you to kind of travel your way merrily, you know, forward in your life, kind of calling the shots, he could never use you for his purposes. So he humbles us. And the blind, he allows the blind side to reveal something we didn't see. So if you're like married to your work, you, we've all been like this, right? You know, you give, especially us guys, we do this. I've done this in my own life. We give everything to our job and career, and we're blind to the needs of our spouse or our family. And we don't see the negative impact that our drivenness is having on our kids until, boom, all of a sudden, the spouse is in tears. The kids say, you're never around, Dad. You're like, you're like a stranger. Boom. I, I thought I was only hurting myself. And suddenly, we're revealed that actually it's hurting others. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. That's humbling. When the light bulb click goes on and the darkness in our heart gets exposed, that's actually when God says, you know what? Have a seat. I'm going to take the wheel. Do you notice with Saul, he doesn't pull any punches. Jesus goes fight club on him. Notice this, how the language changes. He says, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So, so they, they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. I want you to capture this. Saul was the Sanhedrin's hitman. He is the proud Pharisee, and he is humbled. What was this like for this guy? Master of his ship, and suddenly he can't see anything. He's groping in the darkness. He has to be led by the hand. He doesn't have a drink for three days. So a guy who is used to taking life by the cojones, he is led by the hand. I'm serious. This, this, is, this is a moment that people say, where's God? He's disoriented, he's weak, he's humbled, and his pride is left in pieces on the ground. After last week's service, I had, uh, I had lunch with, with Michael Frenzies. I said, Mike, it's amazing just to hear what God has done in your life. I can't believe it. And he, you know what he said to me? He said, Tim, don't glamorize it. That's the problem. He goes, everybody loves the before and after story. 
this miraculous moment, but this was a very painful process. He said, I was, in, I was in prison for seven years. All my assets were frozen. They took everything, my power, my money, my family. Nobody wants anything to do with me suddenly. And before I got God, you know what I got? I got bitter. He said, I was angry at God. That's why he threw the Bible against the wall, the prison wall. But it was in those seven years in prison that all of Michael's distractions were stripped away. All his idols, all the thing that he'd been pursuing and worshiping, and God said, now I have you, Mike, where I can use you. I can speak to you. You can actually hear from me. And when he finally actually picked that Bible up off the floor and read the story of God with fresh eyes, he's like, Tim, it was like the scales fell from my eyes. I realized this story's about me. This is about God's been passionately pursuing me over time and space. He created me for purpose, and I thought I was the controller of my own life, where it's God, he's the... It clicked for him. The warmth of God's love began melting his heart inside a prison cell. The story was very personal all of a sudden. You know what? I just call this out. That's what God's doing with many of you this fall. he's, He's pursuing you. He's saying, I want to draw you deeper, not just along the surface, skimming the surface. I want to draw you deeper into faith. And it may not be as dramatic as Franzese or Paul. You may, you're like, I'm not a gangster, but I want you to see your story in light of Paul's. Are you facing circumstances this fall that have humbled you? That have humbled you? Maybe your, your business has failed, or your, your spouse leaves, or, or you've, you've failed at school, or, or some endeavor. You've been pouring your energies into it, and it just, it's not working. This is a God moment, guys. Don't miss this. Make no mistake about this. God came for Paul. God came for Michael Franzis. God came for Tim Lucas. He's coming for you. And this, it's his invitation to go deeper. Paul didn't eat for three days. You know what we call that in Christian world? Fasting. Fasting. It's one of the ways you actually say, God, I want to hear from you. Because things aren't going right in my life, and I just need to clear out the clutter, and I need to hear your voice. I can't take my own voice anymore. By denying your flesh, you actually clear room to hear from the Spirit of God. And Paul, what's amazing is he didn't actually curse Jesus. He actually pressed in to understand the significance of what was happening to him. In verse 11, when when God sends Ananias to visit Paul, he actually tells him, look at this. It says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from, from Tarsus named Saul, for he's what? He's... Praying. Paul's fasting and praying. What do you do when you get blindsided? Do you fast? Do you pray? Or do you actually just get angry? Screw church. I'm not going to church. God's going to let this happen to me? I don't got any time for him. Paul was praying, maybe for the first time in his life, really praying. He'd memor. oh, sure. He'd gone to church his whole life, synagogue. He memorized hundreds of prayers as a Pharisee. But I'm guessing this prayer was a little bit different, yeah? A prayer of desperation, maybe? A prayer of confession? God, what have I been doing? A prayer of repentance? We don't know. But mark this. After he was blindsided, Paul didn't run. Instead, he pressed in, he prayed, he fasted to understand the purpose of God behind this blindside. And and guys, this is critical. You must press in and ask your heavenly father yourself. Don't ask me. I'm clueless most of the time. I'm just trying to sort through my own stuff. But when you talk to your father and say, God, you've got to reveal, you've got to open my eyes to the purpose you have for my life. Do you know what he does? God in his mercy says, ah, 
Now I can reveal, I can birth a fresh vision for how I want to use your life on this earth. That's what Paul's given. He's given a vision for how God wants to use his life. Look at verse 12. In other words, God's not just stop going in this direction. He says, I'm going to turn you around. You're going to go this, this way. He said, you're not chief of sinners anymore. I'm going to make you the apostle of grace, and you're going to change the world. What was Paul's purpose according to God? This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and their kings, and before the people of Israel. In other words, God's like, Paul, you thought the whole goal of your life was to destroy my church, but I'm going to use you to build it. I'm going to use you to reach an entire group of irreligious people who've never heard of Jesus before, the Gentiles, the pagans, and you're going to testify to my power to change the darkness of, situ- of this situation. Wow. Could you imagine, what if God spoke to you with that kind of clarity? Wouldn't that be amazing? You long, you, you've, some of you have had moments like that in life. You're like, that's not usually how my Monday morning devotions go. But wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't it be something if 12 months from now, yeah, next fall, 12 years from now, you would look back to today, your life today, and said that was the beginning, That was when God began revealing the purpose he had for my life. It was hard at first. I couldn't see it. He knocked me flat on my rear end. But now I I was blind, but now I see. I see what he was doing all along. You never see that in the moment where you get blindsided on the road. And the truth is this. My feeling this morning, I was praying before the service, but my feeling this morning is that there are people in this room who God is about to birth a larger vision for your life. He wants to use your life in a bigger way for his bigger purposes in the world. Did Paul have any sweet clue? He just, God just said, I need to get your attention. But you're still so focused on your own little deal that you can't see my hand behind it. And you may be that way this morning. You're like, you've been resisting God. You're kicking against the goads. Don't kick against the goads. You ever hear that phrase? This is, this is fascinating. I love this. This is what Paul called it in Acts chapter 26. Later on, when Paul tells his story to King Agrippa, uh, he recalls the words that Jesus spoke, and he lets us in on something. Jesus didn't just say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Fascinating image. You guys know what a goad is? Probably not. How many of you are farmers? Didn't think so. Okay, here we go. (laughs) A goad is like a spear. It's a spear. It's about this long. It's a sharpened stick, and on one end, it's flat. On the other end, it's a point. It's literally like a spear. And a farmer uses it to prod an ox, to goad him. He actually kind of sticks him in the rear flank to kind of get him. Go, go, get on, get out, there, get out into the field. And you poke and you prod and you get the ox to go. But sometimes the ox is stubborn and it resists, so it kicks back. It kicks against the goads. Guess what happens? It goes even deeper into its rear end. <laughs> and he's like, why are you kicking against the goads? When you resist, you're only hurting yourself. God says to Saul, he says, you resist me. I've been goading you. I've been pricking your conscience. I've been prodding your heart. I've been drawing you to Jesus. And you keep kicking and resisting. And you're only hurting yourself. I think that's a direct word from God for someone here this morning. I think that's what God wants to say to you this morning. He's like, I want to take you through the hurricane. Come here because I'm goading you. I've been pursuing you. I've been drawing you to faith in my son, Jesus. And yet you keep resisting don't kick against the goads. You are only hurting yourself. And I understand. I don't know what your blind side is or your situation. You may be angry. You may be scared. 
You may be confused, but listen to me. Today, God is birthing a grander vision for your life. He created you on purpose and for his purpose. And until you grasp that, none of life will make sense for you. Listen to me. Maybe you haven't fully put your trust in Jesus yet, and you've just been coming for a while, and you, but you feel that. You're like, every time I feel like, man, Tim, it's hard. Like my, I walk out of there, and I'm like, whoo, that was intense. That's God. That's God's goads. He's pricking your conscience. He's prodding your heart. He's saying, come on, come on, you can do it. Take a step, take a step. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And guys, this is a moment for some of you. God's goading you. He's saying, it's not just to be forgiven. I want to show you my purpose for your whole life. Even if things seem dark right now and you don't understand everything, I'm asking you to catch it. Trust me. That's what faith is. It's trusting in God's word even when we can't see the full picture. We can't see it. We don't know. Some of you have been kicking against the goads, resisting Christ, saying, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, what would that mean if I was a Christian? My family would think I'm nuts. I see some of these people who are all in. They're raising their hands. I'm not into that whole thing. Let me ask you this. Do you think Saul ever thought in his wildest dreams he would meet Jesus face-to-face in a street fight, MMA, and then spend the rest of his life traveling the world? Woo, Jesus! I got to tell you what Jesus did for me. What the? Do you think Michael Franzese, the mobster, ever thought he'd be a minister, talking to thousands of people, testifying about Christ? That's how your heavenly father works. That's the story you're holding. That's the story of God, and you're in the story. Even when we're at our worst, sometimes in full flight from our Father, out of grace, out of sheer love, God reaches in. He surrounds you with other Christian brothers and sisters like Ananias, people who actually love you when you're like unlovable and hurting. And the transformation begins, and the scales fall. And all the religious striving and worrying, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Am I significant? It starts quieting down because guess what? Your heart starts absorbing the unconditional love of Christ, the approval of the most powerful person in the universe, your heavenly father who created you before you were a thought in your mother's womb. He's got a purpose for you. And it's found in faith in my son, Jesus. And and he was resurrected. He came to, he died to forgive your sins, but then he was resurrected because I got a brand new life for you. I got something for you. Your life isn't half over. It's not like I made mistakes, now I limp along. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to bring wholeness to you. You're going to have a new life. Guys, that's the gospel. That's salvation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Are you, are, if you're resisting that, why? You've got to follow Paul's example and get baptized as soon as possible. Notice I didn't say saved. That's not what the Bible actually says here. The final step in Saul's story is that he was baptized. Look at this, verses 18 and 19. It says simply, Paul got up, jumped into the hot tub, and was baptized. And then he had a snack and felt a little better. Baptism, you know what it is? It's just an outward sign of an inner change. Paul was saved on the inside. He says, I'm giving my life, Jesus. I surrender. I confess my sins. Uh, I actually don't really have a choice at this point, it seems to me. I'm going to trust you to heal me, all the broken parts of me, to forgive the violence of my past. And now outwardly, I'm going to get baptized. 
because I want to tell people about what you're doing in here. I want to show people out there what's happening in here. That's what baptism is. It's this outward sign of this interchange that God's doing in your heart. And good news, guess what? We are baptizing people at this campus next week. This is a critical next step for some of you to take if you've never done this. And I say this because I know God's been working in many of you. I know that. I've talked with you in the lobby. You've emailed me and stuff. I know, it's been a process. It's, maybe it's not all at once. You're like, I, I didn't have road to Damascus. But God's been goading you. Maybe this whole year, Sunday after Sunday, maybe it began in the spring. He started speaking to your heart. He's pricking your conscience. He's been, you know, prodding you with people who love you. And you have felt that inside. And you have never acted on it externally. That's what baptism is. It's putting that stake in the ground and saying, I believe and I'm getting baptized. That's what the Bible says in Mark 16. Believe and be baptized. And it's what the Bible commands. It's why we practice it at Liquid, okay? Because every single one of us, starting with the chief of sinners, Pastor Tim, has a story. It's this moment where we stopped resisting God and actually surrendered our soul. And what the Bible says is we crossed over from death into life, from darkness into light at that moment. Baptism is a symbol of a life changed by Jesus. And it is a beautiful thing to witness. You just ask uh, Paul and Leilani. Paul and Leilani are a special couple in our church family here at Liquid, uh, Benjaminos. They were on their own road to Damascus when God kind of brought them to Liquid. One of you invited them. And this past spring, they were baptized together. This is their story. I grew up in a very strict Catholic background. There really was no relationship that I never really developed that strong bond uh, with God. I also uh, was a Catholic. I was forced to go. I didn't have a choice and I needed to go or otherwise I would be in trouble. I have a lot of questions and I would ask family members and all they would say is, don't ask questions and I stopped going altogether. It, it was my brother Michael who uh, actually kept extending you know, the, the invite to us to come to Liquid. It took a long time. It was, uh, I think, three years he's been inviting <laughs> you. Coming to Liquid is different than anything in my Catholic background because it's really the message and how it was communicated to me. I knew that the Lord was, was talking to me. We kind of looked at each other um, when they were talking about baptisms, and we already knew that this is the next step that we had to take. Just being in the tub, just walking in there. I mean, they call it the holy hot tub. You know, so I was like, okay, the holy hot tub, let's get in there, let's, let's do this. All my emotions of, of, of my walk and my journey coming out and then, uh, you know, just being dipped in the water. I think my main concern, honestly, because I'm a big guy, is if they could actually pull me back up out of the water. So I was like, okay, just as long as you guys, you know, you can pull me out of the water, I'm good. Um, I'd say one of the things that um, God used to push me or to goad me in that direction to being baptized, honestly, was, um, with my, was my kids. Having a relationship with God was important. To see how lucky we are just to have them in our lives, it's something where I would want them to have that relationship with God. Also, just like Paul, it's my kids, but it's also my past. And I have a past that's not easy, quite dark, but um, God was always there. I didn't know at the time, but Growing up, I had to be strong for myself. I didn't grow up with my parents. I love them very much, but living in a poor country, 
my mom had to leave me before I was one year old. So I didn't have that guidance and I, and I became a mom very young. I got married very young and Paul is my second husband. My first husband, the relationship was abusive uh, mentally, emotionally and physically. I remember it was something I wanted to reach out to whoever and it was God who listened. To anyone out there who is on defense and just not sure and a little bit hesitant, um, if you're thinking about whether or not you should do it, just don't think and just do it. The more you're afraid, the more you need God. Whatever burden you have, He will take it away and replace it with His love and with His grace. For me, just the pride in it really, just to, to know that He's there and what are you waiting for? Paul and Leilani, Benjamino, they're so grateful for you sharing your story with us. Guys, that's because Paul's brother Michael said, I'm going to be like Ananias. I'm going to reach out to him. I'm going to go minister to him when he's hurting. An entire family was changed for eternity. Paul and Leilani believed the good news. Here's the good news. The God who changed Paul the God who changed Michael Franzese is still changing lives today. Amen? That's it, guys. That's the pattern in the Bible. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you get baptized as soon as possible. And some of you need to take this next step next Sunday because God's been goading you. You've been kind of stop being a pain in the butt. I understand. It's been painful at times, but this is your moment to say, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm believing. I'm giving my heart to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to obey him and be in his family forever. We are going to have a holy hot tub right here next Sunday. All you have to do is say, I'm in. And we actually have on your way out today a baptism bag to give you if you are interested. It's got a little CD in there called Sprinkle, Dip, or Dunk. What's the deal with baptism? Because some, well, some people like, appreciate Leilani. You, know, you may have grown up Catholic in your life. I think I was baptized as a baby, like that opening Godfather scene. I think that was me. Um, does this like negate that? Does that mean that doesn't count? No, not at all. That was a sign of your parents' intention that you would actually walk in the ways of the Lord. But guess what? Adult baptism is about you saying, you know what? This is my deal. This is my faith. It's personal. I have made this decision and nothing's going to change my mind. It's like I was talking to an engaged couple. We've had a lot of couples get engaged recently uh, at Liquid. And I said to one of the guys, I said, well, how did you know? And he said, I don't know. This is going to sound stupid, but like, she just has my heart, man. She just has my heart, and I want it. That's what baptism is. It's like a wedding ring. It's saying, I'm stopping dating the faith, dating the church, but I'm putting a wedding ring on, and I am giving my whole heart to Jesus Christ. I'm identifying with his, his death. We go under the water, and when I come out of the water, I'm being raised to new life. Christ, you have me for eternity. That's what baptism is. Some of you need to get baptized next Sunday. I'm just going to be honest about that. I'm going to make that a very strong ask of you, I like doing it. <laughs> you ever notice? Nick said that to me. He's like, you're like a fish. Like the moment you go in the water, your mouth goes, Woo! <laughs> because I love it. I feel, I it's this moment when somebody comes out and they're like, I know, man, I'm forgiven. My past is over. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. It's why I like doing weddings, man. It's like joy. That's what it is. How many of you want to feel that? It's an invitation to go deeper in your faith and take the next step. And I would just echo Paul, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for, man? Get baptized next week. I'd love to meet you in the holy hot tub. Let's do this. All our campuses, just close your eyes for a minute because I'm sensing God's speaking to some of you. If God's been goading you, all heads bowed.
you feel like he's been prodding you to go deeper in your faith. Would you just raise your hand? You're like, man, God's been, been goading me to go deeper. Praise God for you. Keep your hand up. Just put it straight up. This is for God. Say, man, God, you're, you're prodding me. You're calling me. I want to go deeper. Put your hand straight up. I understand you may be scared. You may be angry. God's talking to you. Listen to me. God, keep your hand up. God created you on purpose. He created you for a purpose. And until you believe and receive that, your life will not make sense. Stick your hand up. I want to pray for you right now. God, men and women, we're raising our hands to you in surrender. We trust in nothing else but the name of Jesus for our salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, who doesn't just convict God, but brings us to peace with you. I pray for men and women, God, who are being transformed right now in this church, that today would be the day they would take the step of faith. They're giving their whole life to you right now, Father God. I pray that they would be baptized next week. And Father, we would rejoice together and they will have a story to tell. Lord, the story of men and women changed by Jesus. Thank you for coming for us. We are your church. We're your bride. Thank you for loving us, protecting us, and saving us for your purposes. We pray that in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.